Well, Jacob, I have a question for you. I want to know, what is your most favorite book of all time? Because I know you're a reader, so I know you've read a lot of stuff. But what's your favorite? Mm. And why? I'd like to know why it's your favorite, too. I got, Notice how I got two questions in there? Uh, yeah. You cheat yeah. a little bit. That's okay. Sorrow. I... I don't know. I've I've had I have an answer in my head, but I feel like the answer is changing over time. But I don't. All right, I'll say my initial answer and then my evolving answer. So my initial answer is "Name of the Wind" by Patrick Rothfuss. It is for people that have followed me, have listened to me talk before. I've ta- I've said uh, fantasy is like. My jam. It's what got me into reading. It's all that stuff. Patrick Rothfuss. It's an epic fantasy book about a. It's basically like this young. It's it's a different type of epic fantasy. Like usually, fantasy books. You know, like there's an evil sorcerer or something, and there's a kingdom, and you have to fight the kingdom. But this is a young boy who his family is like a traveling. Like carnies, kind of, but they're like traveling troop. Like they perform and act and stuff. Um, and he, his, his dad is writing a song about a group called the Chandrian, and no one has really written songs about them because they're like this mythical thing. Most people don't believe in them. And a couple chapters in, uh, these people say they show up. And basically his family's murdered and the young boy is talking to the guy and he goes, well, your dad's been singing the wrong kinds of songs. So it's about this boy who, so they go away though. Like after this initial chapter, like they go away and then he is just on this, he lives as an orphan in this city. And it's literally about that. Like one of the big conflicts in the story is like him getting access to the, to the college that's there and it's like a college of magic or whatever. But he like one of the big plot points is him like losing his access to the library. So it's, it's totally not traditional epic fantasy, but it's very long. It's very good. The reason I love it is just because I, you know, Patrick is one of the best writers ever. Like there's so many details to the world. It is, it's literally, it just lives in my brain to where like I have a, there's a game called Tack that they play in it, and I have the board game like at oh my, my house. So like I have, like, my wife bought me a replica sword that he has. So I have like an actual sword from this. So like I mean, it's like a world. Like I'm a like mildly obsessed, but it's because it's so it's so good. Kay, uh, Kaylee, she my wife, she doesn't read fantasy really like she likes harry potter and stuff she doesn't read like epic fantasy but she loved the books and read them incredibly fast there's two of them there's supposed to be a third it's been since 2007 so i've lost hope in the third book it's never coming out um i'm just a fan who will never get closure on this story (laughs) (laughs) hey maybe he'll listen to your podcast maybe Uh. he'll tune in Maybe he hates being asked about his third book. Um, oh, he, well, you know, what's funny is he had a podcast. Well, you're not asking him. That's true. That's true. He has a you're podcast um, called, well, he used to, they only did a few episodes, but with the guy who made, have you ever heard of the game cards against humanity? Mm-hmm. So I don't know, you know much like about a, it though. 
Yeah, you know, it's like a crass, inappropriate, like, adult, like, card game, right? It mm-hmm. uh, The guy who did that, though, is very intelligent, and they had a podcast together. That was actually one of my original inspirations for Teach Me Teacher, the way they did their music interludes uh, to, like, transition from, like, topic to topic. And if you listen to season one of Teach Me Teacher, I had a little interlude. It wasn't very long, but that was, like, the origin of... That so uh, they've influenced me in a variety of ways, but my other answer to this, and I don't know if I'm ready to say it's my favorite book of all time, but it is the Hamilton biography. It's literally so good. Like I think about, I think about that story all the time, and it's not because I'm a history buff. It's not. You know, I've read a lot of biographies and I've read a lot of history and, it, you know, it, it might be slightly because of the uh, the musical or whatever, but I don't even think it's that. Like the book is completely like there's a part where, spoiler alert, Hamilton dies, but he um, it's when he after his duel with uh, Aaron Burr, Aaron Burr. He, mm-hmm. he ends up. He lives for a while after he doesn't die right then. Like they, they row him home and he ends up like he has like this bullet in him and like he's getting infections and stuff. So he's like slowly dying and he has all these kids and the chapter it describes like how the they had his kids come in and like say goodbyes. But it's I mean, it's like 30 pages of literally some of the most amazing writing and description I have ever read in any book. And I was just like, this is phenomenal. Like this, it, it's so mind boggling at how good that book is for a biography. Um, so yeah, so that one, wrote it. Uh, it is from Chernow is his last name. I think his first name is Robert, Robert Chernow, but Cher, it's, it's his biography. And it, I mean, it's so good. And he's written one about uh, Grant. He written, he's written one. He won the, the, uh, an award for his George Washington biography, which I own, but it's a thousand pages. So I haven't jumped into it just yet. <laughs> um, that's a lot to read about George Washington. Just not a hundred percent certain. He did one about Rockefeller. So he's done a few other ones. He's a, he's a economist. So he, he writes about, uh, he, he started kind of writing about business, which is why I think Hamilton was really appealing to him because Hamilton, <laughs> you know, did the national banking and all that. But right. yeah, so those are my two and my whys. I don't know. I, they're they're tied right now. Name of the wind probably for nostalgia purposes, but Hamilton might be the new. I don't know. We'll see in a year if I change my mind or not. All right. Well, that sounds great. So um, welcome to Craft and Draft. And that's uh, Jacob Chastain. I'm Pam Ochoa. And we're going to, I think, talk about uh, and welcome. And we're going to talk about what? Summer PD? We're going to kind of start there. Professional development. Are you doing any summer (laughs) PD? I might as well continue the questions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, summer PD is interesting to me because so many people, uh, you know, teachers want their summer and they go on vacation. And I, I always say, like, I'm a bad summerer. Like I don't do summer well. Like I need to work. Like I was telling my wife the other day, I was just standing in my living room going, oh my God, I'm so bored. I'm dying. And it's not because I don't have things to do. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, I just don't 
do not working well. Like I, I love the chaos of teaching and being in the classroom. And so like when you take it away, I'm just like, oh God, like, you know, I like podcasting and doing all this stuff and, you know, working on the books and whatever, but it's just, it's not the same. Like I need, my core work fuels me. Like a lot of people like, they're like, oh my God, I just need a break. Like teaching was so crazy this year. I'm like, I need that because it, some, it focuses me on everything else somehow. It's like, okay, I only have, I only have five hours this weekend to get work done on the podcast or the book or whatever. So I, I need to focus. But now I have infinite amount of time, relatively speaking. And I'm like, eh, I'll do it later. Like, you know, like I'm not a good enough manager of myself. So for as much as I get done, summer is really bad for my productivity in strange ways. So I don't know. But yes, I am doing. Luckily, I do have a very long and arduous uh, training coming up. Um, all of, supposedly going to teach me how to teach kids how to write, maybe. I don't really know. But it's Abydos being hosted at our district. You are one of the trainers among other people. We're going to have some of our team there, but this is, why don't you tell us how long is this training? So people get a grasp on the demands that Abydos asks of its participants. How long is this training, Miss Ochoa? Well, I might, it's, it's 12 days, but when I took it, it was 15 days. <laughs> oh, so it's shortened a little bit. Yeah, it's shortened a little bit. So, but there are some things that are that we don't do now that we're really good on those days. But um, yeah, it used to be 15 days and it's eight to four. <laughs> oh, silence. <laughs> it's eight to what? No, it's good. Well, we'll try to get you out a little bit earlier than four, but we might go past four, not past four, two, four, a few days. You know, I, I, like I said, though, I'm I'm excited about it because it'll it'll fill my day, but it'll also give me, you know, it'll be it'll be nice. I, part of the way we're treating it is, you know, as a, a team builder activity, right? We have some new people there. Um, our eighth grade teacher, who's new, isn't going to be able to make it. Unfortunately, she can. Oh no, she has a uh, childcare stuff that kind of got in the way, which is sad, but I was like, eh, you know, one of the trainers is literally coming to our campus, so it's probably not going to be too bad of a deal, but um, we'll, we'll help her out. Uh, our seventh grade team and a sixth grade teacher is going to be there. So you, me, and our other seventh grade partner, we're going to be there. So it'll be a nice, it'll be a nice way to uh, calibrate our thinking and ways of talking before the year starts. But in terms of teacher PD though, you know, like when you, I know you've been training for a long time and whatnot, and you always have, you know, you have volleyball and you you always have quite the list of things that you subscribe to. Have you all, have you like felt the need to like summer is when you get your PD in or is summer other than the, the tasks that you like do for money or whatever, is there, do you treat it as the time to gather your professional development and to take part in it? Or are you someone that's comfortable going, you know what? I can sit here and do absolutely nothing for a while. Well, I can actually sit here and do nothing for a while, but <laughs> I seem to I seem to just pile it on. So usually my summers are me trying to catch up on everything I didn't get done. Uh, so like my yard work and my house and things like that. Um, since I'm the only one that maintains it now, I had I spend a lot of my like, like today I 
mowed, you know, what, have a third of an acre. So it's a lot of mowing. So I did all that about this morning. But um, no, I do a lot of reading. I think I shared with you all the different books and stuff. So I, I do a lot of professional development reading is usually when I get all my PD, you know, I'll, I'll probably buy a new book or two each each summer, which I think over 30 years, that's why I have so many books. And uh, they're kind of expensive, so you can't just like buy a lot of them at one time. But I like to hold them and write in them and put post-it notes in them. So I do a lot of that. But no, I try to get, I've already done my GT training, you know. Um, but no, a lot of times I'm actually the one doing the training. I'm the one presenting the training. But it does keep me current because I have to make sure that I I stay current in the in the uh, new theories or any kind of philosophy or any added type stuff. So I stay current in strategies and and in my pedagogy because if I'm going to be teaching teachers each summer, then I got to make sure I'm I'm as current as I can be. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I I feel kind of the same way. You know, it's. Part of me, I love reading, like, I feel like it's like therapy to me in some ways. Like, part of my uh, coming to terms with I don't have to wake up on Monday and jump into the classroom and bring that energy for the kids is, like, I like reading about teaching. Like, that's why I love, I think that's why I love Nancy Atwell's In the Middle is because mm-hmm. she describes her classroom throughout that whole book. And it's just, it's very therapeutic to me is to read about other people's teaching experiences it's also why that look at there you got a copy. I have a different cover. Um, yeah, you probably have the third. Is this the third one or the second one? Anyway, go ahead. But oh, this the, is the second edition. She did a third one. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I like I just reading about teaching. I, I like it in general, but it's also you know it just puts me in the right mindset. I just kind of brainstorm. Like I've I think I've talked about this on the show before, but I'm a I'm a global thinker. And what that means is on one end, it means I think big picture, but on another means what it, on another way, it's the way I learn is I consume everything about a topic. I like, I have like a, a, it's like a obsession is that when I get interested in something, I read everything on it and I watch every video I can find and I read articles and I just consume, 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 consume until it all clicks in my brain and just makes sense. Like I can't just read one thing and be good. It's like I'm obsessed until I feel like I understand it well enough to where I don't really need to look at it anymore. That's how I learned workshop. That's how I learned kind of independent reading and reading workshop. And and now it's more about like I'm ref, I'm at the I feel like I'm at the refining stages. Like I understand workshop. I understand this. I understand that. And now it's like okay, how deep does this well go? How how deep are the practices and getting kids engaged in reading and writing and, and some of, some of my leadership stuff is in there because, you know, I do aspire to be a leader at, in some capacity, whether that's a principal or a curriculum lead, we'll see where the dice go. Um, but that's so far down the line. I'm not too worried about it, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That's why I do it. Like you, so would you say your PD that you seek out most of the times is just like book PD? Uh, no, I like to, I go to conferences and things like that mm. when I can. Have you ever been to one of the literacy conferences like NCTE or ILA or anything like that? Yes, I've been. I've not been to the NC. I've been to the state one, the state one. I've done the the National Geographic one. Um, 
spent a whole summer doing that because I used to also train in geography. So I trained people in how to teach geography. So I did that for a while. I don't know why. I always seem to get not just like getting the subject, but I <laughs> throw myself into the whole thing and end up training people in it. I don't know why. It just It just seems when you said throwing the dice, it just seems like somebody always asks me, oh, can you teach somebody how to do blah, blah, blah. But um, no, I, I like going. It's just uh, what's happened to me is uh, the demand for me to be doing things for people, you know, different, like one year I spent, well, I spent three years working in another district each summer. So I would work, I, I usually do about four weeks of training for a school, if it's not ours, if it's not for our district, it's usually another district. So it's usually anywhere from three to four weeks worth of training. So that's a whole month right there of the summer that I spend. And then I might take about a week or two on vacation time, and then I get back into it. And I'll either go to something or, um, yeah, I do a lot when it comes to professional development, or at least I used I used to do a whole lot more. Yeah, I it was funny. My wife, who uh, you know, she's a she's going on to her third year of teaching. She does elementary school, but she had was ending her. Uh, she was ending her year, and she's like signing up for all the trainings, and was super excited about all the things. And then she did. Um, they did their capturing kids hearts training at their campus. And after that, she was like, mm, I really don't want to do any more training. And so I was like, she was, uh, <laughs> and I, I get that too, because there is, you know, there, there is a pressure, so to speak, when you go to a training, right? Like there's, you know, it's, it's social, you're sitting with other people. It is all of that. Not all trainings are created equal. Um, <laughs> but some of the best things I've ever been to, like ILA was phenomenal. You know, that's when I got to meet a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast just in person, but you know, like Mary Howard, I got to meet in person, Laura Rob, um, got to talk to Dolan Miller again, who I've seen in person, but, um, you know, talk to all of them, Terry Lassane. And it was, it was so cool to be at something that big. Uh, but it was also really funny because in like the, at these big conferences, you know, they have to make money somehow. Right. And so a lot of a lot of vendors pay to be at these conferences. And it was so it was so funny listening to like the speakers because they would be like, "Okay, guys, everything we're talking about right now, everything out in that hallway is the opposite of what we're talking about because it's all the programs. It's all the packaged curriculum. You know, they had some areas like like Stenhouse was there. That's where I saw like Jeff Anderson. We got to meet in person then and, you know, Heinemann's there and like all those places and like, you know, like the authors like uh, Probst and all them were there like signing books. Like that's fine. But they were like, you know, that the part where they're selling you tech and they're selling you all this. They're like, you know, be careful. Not everything is created equal in these walls. And it's so funny. Like they, they were, it's like the caveat always with teachers is that we have to make sacrifices. It's like we, if we want pure workshop, then you have to do what's necessary to keep your job and to be in the right place. But at the same time to do workshop and in a lot of places, you have to bend the rules a little bit and, and play the game. And it's always like, that's always such a funny realization is that teachers play this 
balancing act, so to speak? I don't know. When you've presented, do you ever, you're not very controversial in that sense. You know, I feel like you don't often stand in front of people and go, all right, guys, so we're talking about this out there. Those are the bad people. We don't want to talk to them. We don't want to do that. Like, have you ever <laughs> phrased anything like that or like pointed to like these programs? No, it doesn't seem like something you no. would do. <laughs> no, but um, we do talk um, about philosophy versus programs uh, in our training. So we do kind of so hit on it. you indirectly say it. Yeah, we don't talk about like the vendors. <laughs> we need the vendors. We don't talk about them. Well, that's what's that's- interesting about uh, Abydos in general is it's it seems like something because it's so research based, it grows with the times, like it evolves. That's why they've mm-hmm. done so many different editions of stuff like that. But how is how is the the training evolved with the times? Would you say you said you shortened it a little bit, which is kind of it's a good and bad thing because it lost some of the good stuff that you were talking about, but how, how has it evolved over time in terms of just keeping up with all of the nuances of what we do? Well, it's evolved in, we, we also have a segment where we talk about brain research and things like that. And that has probably changed more than anything. Uh, We've incorporated more of the technology or at least addressed it. Because when we started, it was before computers were in the classroom. So it really has changed a lot. Uh, The book itself, a lot of it now is online. You know, like if you purchase the book, then you have access to the online materials, which in the old books were in the appendix as handouts and things like that. But now they have different articles and different things now that they didn't have before. Um. I don't know, mainly in the research. But what, what Abydos does is we have a conference every every year around April. Um, and this year, the entire conference was uh, uh, virtual. So I did an entire virtual conference. And so I stood at my, I, I mean, I was in front of my computer for all day long for three days. Dr. Carroll says that you need to know a minimum of 70% more than what you're going to be teaching when you're presenting. So like you diving into a subject, like you said a minute ago, if you're really going to present to people, you really need to know about 70% more than what you are going to actually present. And that makes you more confident and all of that. But when we trained to do it, so the, the institute is was 15 days, right? But the training was nine months. So it was a nine-month training in order to be able to teach, which is why I can remember all of these things. And so what they did is we would have to read a book, like, for example, in the middle that you mentioned. So this in the middle, let's see, it's in with the index, it's 546 pages, right? So we would have to summarize this in one page or less, and be thorough. And then they had to grade it and then determine whether or not we we pulled out the correct stuff. So that's, and we did over 30, I think it was 30 books. So we read things like um, Thought and Language by Led by Gotsky. We, we did um, uh, 
Piaget, we did um, Jane Healy's. Uh, they, they, now, I do know that that some of the reading has changed, but we did um, neuroplasticity was coming out, and they just discovered that uh, mind mapping and that our brains actually change when um, we learn something new. And so the person who wrote a book on that at that time, the most current book at that time was Jane Healy, uh, Neuroplasticity, uh, her book. And uh, so it's a whole book that, and so we had to summarize that book. And so we had to do brain research and we had to, you know, do all this kind of stuff. So one of the things that we have to do is stay current so for us to stay current, what the presenters have to do is on that conference that we have, uh, every three years, once you have certified, after you did your 30 and everybody, so we had to do 30 books, we had to summarize them, they had to approve of it, then they had to come and watch us teach in our classroom, and then we had to, then we kind of pulled out of a hat one of the subjects that we have to teach for the 15 days. We didn't know which one you, you would get. And so you pulled your pulled that, and then you had one night to get it all figured out, and you presented it the next day in front of them. So that was fun. And then, uh, so it was pretty intense. I think that's a pretty intense training. It's not just reading a little bit. And so anyway, that's, that's how, um, that's what, that's what we had to do. And then to stay current, like I said, once you got certified, then three years later, you had to present at the conference. And then the trainers who have already been trained, they evaluated you. So when you're up there presenting at the Abydos conference, you're also being evaluated. And if you don't do all the things that they ask you to do, um, then you don't get recertified. And you have to stay current. And that's one of the things they, they measure you on is how current is your bibliography. So, and you have to do that for every three years until you get to about 15 years, I think, or 17 years. I think at 17 years, you don't have to do it anymore. So guess what? I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> well, I'm curious as to, you know, and this kind of goes into why I think Summer PD is great. Um, but your, I mean, it seems like an obvious question, but I want to hear your thoughts on it, which is doing all of this, do you feel like it has made you a better educator? Like when you go into this research and you read all of these things, like, do you feel like it, it drastically changed your teaching? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and what's really fortunate is I, I have, you know, I know Dr. Carroll, I know we're like we can sit down and have a conversation. I've had dinner with her, things like that. So um, one of the things that I was so glad that I was able to tell her is how much I, how much she did change my life. And I think that's why just taking that institute that first time, it completely changed the way I approached teaching English, teaching writing, uh, teaching reading, also a reading trainer as well. So that's a whole nother set of books I had to read and get do the process, but it was for reading. And then I'm also a trainer. I've, I've been trained on at least three of their programs. They have several uh, institutes that they offer because uh, they're really a literacy group. So they offer all different. So they even have math training and they have grammar training and all that. I have not done all that costs quite a bit of money. But anyway, has it changed my life? You bet. 
And I think that's why I don't mind doing it every year because I think it's life changing. And I think what, so what I like to do is repeat or try to give back what was given to me. And I think that's why I enjoy it because it's just, it's just fascinating to watch these teachers who, first of all, most of the time their principals told them they had to be there. Because that's a pretty big commitment. So they're all like, and especially in the past, uh, I've noticed that I think principals are now a little more shy to say that. But when we first started, it was, I mean, like for me to teach English, they told me, if you're going to teach English here, you're going to take Abydos this summer or you're not teaching. So, I mean, what do you do? You need your job. You take it. And so that kind of control is not there anymore, it doesn't seem. Uh, that's one thing that I, I've noticed that's changed over time when it comes to professional development. Because we used to run probably 40, uh, two institutes a summer with 40 groups in it, 40 people in it. And um, so that would be about 80 people that we would train a summer and we're not seeing, we don't see those numbers anymore at all. And I think part of it is because um, people are a little nervous about taking away that summer time. Does that make sense? Uh, they probably have been sued or stuff like that over time. Probably somebody didn't like to be told that. I don't know what's happened. But over time, it that, you know, that's a little bit different. But... Um, no, I, I, it really has changed, but I, I know where I was going with that. So, so watching these people have been told that they have to take it, right? So they're already unhappy. And probably about three days into it, our institute, they change. They, they are a different person. And when they leave, they're totally different. It's, it's just really neat to watch that change. And I don't know if it's the Institute so much as it's the writing. I think that's the power that writing and reading have over people. And just the ability to be comfortable putting your own words down and it being accepted and being appreciated, what you have to say. And, and in this institute, that's what we, we definitely focus on community. And we focus on that ability to, to give that feedback. Um, and then as a result, you just watch people. They're like, they just change. Because when, when you write on paper as a writer, you're actually putting yourself out there. I mean, that's probably the most vulnerable you'll ever be to pick up that paper and then you share your deep story. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just really a life changing thing. And I, I would do it again and again. Well, and I, this is the interesting part when you're talking PD in the summer and you know what teachers should do or what people advise teachers to do or what they shouldn't do, you know, if teach their own and do what they you know, need to do. But the, what you were saying about like, you know, keeping up with your practice for, you know, to be a trainer and all of that, that's how I feel just naturally. Like when you say, like, you need to know 70% mm -hmm. more of what you're teaching to feel comfortable. Like, that's how I feel walking into my classroom. Like, I've had lessons where I didn't know 70% more. And it usually doesn't go as well. Like, I, you know, when we're to conference as much as I do, I have to have a wealth of knowledge and experience and just a, an ability to speak in an honest way to the writers in my space because... 
it's I don't come to them as a, an authority necessarily. I come to them as a as a fellow writer, someone in the workshop, and that. If I can't be someone that offers them advice or perspective on something or uh, a constant ear if they need that, like that's when I become less useful. So I I think a part of that process, though, a part of prepping for the amount of conferences I'm going to have in the year is spending time in the summer two weeks, 10 days, 15 days, right? Going and either experiencing a training or reading a lot of books. I'm very fortunate that I have two podcasts where I get to talk about teaching. So I get to hone my ideas and listen to people every week. But I think there's a magic about, you know, just getting better over time and then utilizing that stuff in your uh, classroom. You know, I've, I've, I've talked to teachers about PD before and, you know, I've had a teacher come to me and say, you know, if, if I wanted, there's a reason I didn't get a master's degree. I was done learning. And that is such a weird and I think unhealthy way to look at it in, in terms of teaching. Like the kids that we get are always evolving. The practice is always evolving. If you have cut off yourself from professional development because you feel like you have been professionally developed, then I would argue you really don't have a place in education anymore. Like you, there's only a met your time is over, right? When you stop trying to learn and stop growing, like you're done, you have a few years left. And then maybe, maybe not even that, because how do you, how do you, Expect kids to want to keep learning if you aren't even interested in the process of learning itself, right? And I I know there's a line, right? You have to take care of yourself and you have to make sure you manage your time well and say no to things sometimes like my wife did. She was like, you know what? I don't need all those trainings this summer, right? But at the same time, um, don't underserve yourself because the the students need you to be overserved they need you to have a wealth of knowledge to not just give them but to be there when they're ready for a random question or to talk to them in a conference it's it's not enough just to be good in my opinion you have to be great and that takes time it takes time like the the teacher i am today is far different than the teacher i was 5 years ago or even 2 years ago um, but I was able to evolve because I love the process and I love learning and I love reading. And I, I just, that I think my students are successful in class because I model what it means to constantly learn and grow and experiment and try things. The reason they try things in writing is because I show them, I try things in writing, you know what I mean? And it's, you can't, very few things come naturally in the classroom, but what does come naturally is kids modeling what the teachers do. Kids are natural readers of models. They watch us closer than I think a lot of us realize. And if we're modeling laziness or modeling an inability to try something hard or to stop learning or even read a freaking book, then they're going to get that. And you know, people know that the kids know their teachers that are invested and they know the ones that are kind of honing it in. So I don't know, man. I love PD. I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with it probably more than most should be. But I think there's there's a balance, and I think everyone has to find their balance. I don't know. You have anything to add before before oh. we jet off? Well, I I was I was thinking that while you were talking there, I was I was uh, kind of reminded of of the fact that if I were going 
to a doctor? Would I want my doctor to have only learned what he learned 10 years ago? Or would I, I want got my doctorate current... and I'm done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and, and, you know, I was thinking about, you know, my, my sister, she works with taxes and she does, she owns her own business, but I guarantee you, she's got to take a test and she's got to learn the new tax code every year. I mean, I would hate to have her do my taxes if she didn't know the present tax code. So, so the, the whole thing is why would we want less for our students? I mean, we shouldn't, I mean, they should have the same, I mean, right to have somebody as current as possible in their field. And I mean, there are things that happen. I mean, I've been thrown into, I taught science. You think I was ready for science? No, but guess what I did? I went to every science <laughs> professional development I could do for that particular year and mainly went to my mom because she was a science teacher. But believe me, I was, I was learning and I was staying late and I was doing stuff like that because I didn't know 70% more of that material. I had to learn it. So I've been like that, but I think, but what saved me that particular year that I had that year, we just had all these holes. It was a weird, we had an economic um, issue. I think the oil went down or something and uh, we did, they had to, it was just an economic issue. And so they moved all these people. So anyway, they ended up with holes um, and I guess I filled them. And so I ended up with, I taught seventh grade science. I taught seventh grade U.S. history. I taught eighth grade U.S. I mean, yeah, eighth grade U.S. history, seventh grade Texas history. Um, let's say I taught English, writing, and uh, eighth grade English. So seventh grade and eighth grade English. Anyway, we were five preps all together. But what saved me was the fact that I did do the professional development. I did. I was grounded uh, with this Abydos, with strategies. So I might have had a different content, but what kept me sane during that time was I, I had, I would plan using the same structure or strategy, but I would apply the content in different ways because I had different content, but I kept the strategies the the same way. If we were doing a Venn diagram, then we did a Venn diagram all day. If we were writing, then we wrote about all of our stuff, you know, whatever we were doing. So that was the, the reading. I kept the same reading strategy throughout the day. So, but because I was, I had that internalized, I can pull those strategies out without even, I could put together a lesson really fast in my head uh, just because I have everything internalized. And that's what I did when I had all those subjects at one time. And it's Boom. PD. That's PD. Happen. That's PD. Can I, before we go, can I tell you something that I think the audience will be interested in? Okay, so go ahead. I, okay, so when I started Teach Me Teacher, mm-hmm. I had to learn all the ins and outs of this tech like podcasting, like every, like when errors came up, there was no one to ask, right? Like I was just doing it on my own and I could search, but sometimes when you search, you don't even, you know, so little, you don't even know how to ask the question. So that's where I was for a long time. Eventually I got to a point to where most problems that pop up now that are technical issues, I kind of know how to solve, but a few of them have reared their heads with craft and draft over time because it's starting a new show. You're doing new websites, you're doing all this stuff. And last night, I, w- I posted it, and I always make sure it goes to the, the app, and I was looking, 
And it took some time. So I was like, okay, maybe it's delayed. And like 30 minutes later, I saw it and it popped up. I was like, cool. And then I looked and I was just kind of scrolling through it. The, the Apple podcast app has like updated recently. And, you know, I, my brain was telling me, you know, check, check in on some things just to look. And it was saying we only had 10 episodes. And I was like, oh. oh, that's that's strange. I wonder if that's a I was like, oh, how long has that been happening? And I was I remembered there is a on WordPress websites, which is what we use, there is a, a function that is built into the website that basically allows your podcast to be syndicated or your post to be your blog, whatever you're using to be syndicated up to a certain amount of episodes. And then it'll start filtering stuff off. Ours was filtering off at 10. So every 10 episodes we've done, so this has happened four different times, the other parts of those episodes are gone. Like not gone, but they were, really? they were, they just weren't showing up in the feed, which mm-hmm. is mind boggling to me. So now everyone should have access to every single episode. Like if they've been listening since the beginning, like it just stays on your phone. But for like new people wandering in, they're starting out at like 31 going, where the heck are these other episodes? And they, you know, they might be going back to the website or whatever, but now it should be available. Ever. It was just something I caught that I remembered I had to fix for Teach Me Teacher 2. Um, so we, uh, we should see an uptick in downloads at this, uh, once this kicks in and, uh, oh, okay. starts flooding. So we'll see what happens. Well, I figured I would mention that just because it was one of those things to where I bet people are confused when we told them to go look for something and it wasn't there and they either gave up or went to the website. So just a fun fact for the world. Well, the way I see it, if you're going to do something new, like craft and draft like I did, you need to pick somebody who's already done everything. <laughs> so I was not worried about it. Guess who slept last night with no problems? <laughs> I have. It's That's the worst. Like we were t- working together when uh, when Teach Me Teacher was having like major problems. Like the, the yes. podcast was down and just like took over my life for like a week. Yeah, I remember that. It's the worst. I hate all this technology. But this has been Craft and Draft, ladies and gentlemen. That's Pam Ochoa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're both seventh grade teachers down here in Texas teaching literacy, reading, writing workshop, weaving it together with what we call Craft and Draft. It is our journal system. We've talked about it in multiple ways throughout the podcast, and you can now get all of that if you just hit subscribe to your podcast app. Get every episode at... Well, usually Thursday nights, but about Friday it populates everywhere, which is why I say it comes out on Friday. You can check us out at craftanddraftworkshop.com where you can now submit your questions directly through the website. If you have a question you want to ask, it can be about anything. Maybe it'll be a fun intro. Maybe it'll take over a whole episode. Maybe it'll take over several episodes. Regardless, thank you for listening. We love what we do here. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here for you.